welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan with Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Randy Richardson, president of V, a Chicago-based senior living provider that operates 10 CCRCs across the United States. The senior living industry has made good progress in dealing with the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, but as infections spike in markets across the United States, Richardson believes even worse days may come in the fight against COVID-19. V has prepared by radically altering its operations, sales, and marketing for a new and turbulent period. And while new expenses have put pressures on operating budgets, the company has found some ways to mitigate those pressures in the meantime. But before we get to that interview, I would like to take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting-edge design and excellence in senior living across the U.S. and abroad. Last year, we received more than 100 entries for consideration, and we're looking to celebrate even more unique projects this year, including both new development and rehabs that are improving the lives of seniors through innovative design. If you think you have a project that fits that description and you're looking to showcase it, visit shnawards.com. Submissions are currently open. The early bird deadline is September 30, and the final entry deadline is October 31. Now, here's my interview with Randy Richardson, president of V. Randy Richardson, thank you so much for joining us on Transform today. I wanted to start with some information about how you all are coping during the steadily pandemic. How has V fared during COVID-19? And are you seeing any pain anywhere related to things like expenses or revenue? And also, how's your census during all this? Well, hi, Tim. Uh, Thank you for inviting me to be on your program. You know, like everyone, we have struggled to work through this pandemic with really no template. We've been, uh, you know, kind of making it up as, as we go. I guess the good news for us was Back in early February, I began to understand or see the potential of a problem because of some early cases in Seattle. And we had an early meeting, February 6th to be exact, with our executive team where we said, you know, we really need to pull out our infectious disease protocols and try to understand what we need to do to modify them to deal with this. And we have some very robust protocols in place to deal with, you know, things like norovirus and gastrointestinal infections in a community. But this COVID-19 is much different in, in, in as much as it's really an airborne disease. And so the things that we began to understand pretty quickly is that we need personal protective equipment. So we felt like we were somewhat maybe a couple weeks ahead of the game by getting everybody tuned up with, you know, the fundamental things, hand washing, sanitizing, you know, common spaces and so forth. We stepped all of that up, but it became quickly apparent that, you know, we had a a whole different animal to deal with. And so we kind of went into high gear on PPE procurement and we still are today. So how have we fared as a result, I think, of maybe getting a few steps ahead of the emergence of the disease and the spread of it and the spike in different markets around the nation? We were prepared for it, at least mentally, 
and we may have a step or two ahead, some procurement activity, although that was very spotty in the beginning. And we clearly weren't prepared. I don't think anybody was with respect to equipment. But as a result, today, I mean, we've resident infection rate across the whole system is below 1%. We've had, in many communities, no outbreaks at all for several weeks. We, like everybody else, struggle with employee infections because they're in and out of the communities every day dealing with normal life activities and they get exposed to a lot of people. So, you know, developing the testing protocols and so forth and screening protocols to manage all of that is kind of a real challenge. But it's kind of routine at this point. So all in all, I'm really pleased with where we are today. And and I'll knock on wood there because I, I don't think this is over. In fact, I think there's more, even worse to come. I'm an optimist, but I, I really do see this and I think uh, as a reality that we're going to have to deal with for a while. So having said that, I'm pleased with where we're at today and the, the, with the steps that we've taken to minimize the exposure to our residents and our and keep our workplace safe but it has been a challenge and i and i we're still in high gear yeah well it's it's good to hear that the 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 outbreaks have have not been as as bad as other providers have seen but you're right i mean it does seem like there's a long road ahead i actually want to talk about the road ahead a little bit you know when you say that we've got maybe some of our worst days ahead of us how bad are you thinking this could get or i guess Another way to phrase this question is what's what's keeping you up at night right now, both yeah. related to COVID and maybe even not related to COVID? You know, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm very comfortable with the response that we've, as a company, that we've been able to provide. We have, in any given week, we'll have at least three leadership calls a week with our field staff and our field leadership. Every other week, I have an all-leader call. Uh, company wide and, and I meet with my executive team at least three times a week. And generally that's a lot more lately to review and update and respond as we see necessary to the changing situation. It's every week it's different and every market it's different. I mean, what keeps me up at night? I think that what I sense today is uh, there is some fatigue that, you know, sets in. This is a different routine now that we've been operating under for five months. Our corporate office has been closed since March. And so we've been working remotely. The corporate employees that support our field, our communities have been working remotely. Of course, our community staff is there 24-7 on site. And our corporate team has been, you know, focused on doing whatever we can we can do to help them with equipment procurement and uh, protocol procedure, dealing with employee issues with respect to time off or quarantine, all of it's a complicated kind of, you know, situation that you're managing. And, you know, it's very different than the normal routine that many people have become accustomed to. So there's been a lot of change. And as a result, a different kind of fatigue you know, kind kind of sets in from time to time. So we've had to take a lot of, we've spent a lot of time and attention on employee morale and keeping people engaged, keeping our residents engaged. And that's been very, very helpful and important to keep spirits up and keep doing what we need to do on a day in and out, day out basis. So 
the things that concern me now are, you know, keeping our staff healthy because if they're healthy, they'll be able to keep our residents healthy. And, you know, I see a lot of cavalier kind of response, general community response to this pandemic in terms of just wearing masks and, you know, social distancing and so forth in the general population. And it's very disappointing to me. And I, I worry about that because I think that's what will contribute, you know, potentially to, um, you know, a, a series of spikes or outbreaks in different markets like we're seeing in Florida and Arizona right now, who, you know, those markets in three, four months ago really weren't having any kind of experience and people weren't that concerned. And now they're hotspots mm-hmm. like New York and New Jersey and and some of the northeastern states were uh, in the beginning, and even California. So I worry about that. And we're, you know, we just try to stay ahead of it and have regular communication with our personnel, with all of our leadership team, teams, and listen to them. What do you need? Tell us what you need. We'll, you know, we'll respond. We're on it. So the whole focus has been, you know, in that area. But I do worry a little bit about the fatigue that set in. I'm trying to get into a new normal routine, and I'm not sure anybody knows what that is right now. So, you know, it's a bit of sorting it out as you get through it. Yeah. Well, it, it, it certainly seems, especially based on how many people here in Chicago that I'm, uh, that I see wearing masks on a day to day basis to hit on your point earlier. It, it certainly seems like we were, we're in this for at least a while longer. I was very interested when you, when you said that you're focused a lot on keeping morale up. I think that a lot of others in the industry, that is one of the main focuses right now. So what, what are some things that you can do both at the community level and the corporate level to keep your employees spirits high during a time that, that can be really hard for people? Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's, it's been interesting to see. And I've been really just amazed at the creativity of our community staff because they've taken it upon themselves to do a number of things virtually uh, for our residents to keep them engaged and entertained. So they're, a lot of them are making their own homemade videos every week. It's really good stuff. You know, it's like <laughs> we have some great production people out there, novice production people who might find a, a job somewhere else you know, because they're so good. But it, it's been amazing to see that. And that in itself keeps their spirit up because they're doing something fun and creative. They really do care about, you know, our residents and, you know, trying to keep them engaged. And so, you know, we're delivering a lot of programming that might have otherwise been received in common spaces in the communities virtually. Everything from exercise classes and lectures, you know, to, you know, our, our, our own homemade corny videos that we, we share with everyone from, you know, my point of view for the, from a leadership point of view for the company, you know, my focus has been to have regular communication with people, acknowledge the issues that they are dealing with. And we take snap surveys often so that we get a pulse of, you know, how our employees may be feeling in one community or, or another and what their concerns are. And we try to address those in a forthright manner. And keep that engagement open, uh, you know, so they know that we are listening and we're trying to respond to their needs 
and doing what we can to support their efforts. And that's, you know, that's been a primary focus of our executive team uh, over the last several months is to have that regular kind of communication with people and, and listen to what they are telling us they need. Now, I know that we just talked about how it seems like COVID-19, we're, we're going to be in this this pandemic mode for a while. Uh, on the other hand, have has V had any success reopening any of its common spaces, like it's, you know, doing dining at, at a fourth capacity or social distancing in common areas? And if so, any hard lessons or best practices that you can share? You know, we haven't, we have a phased reopening plan for each community. And it really is driven by the larger community, you know, either municipality or, or, or county uh, guidelines that have been issued. And we have a, a tracking report that we've developed that we distribute twice a week that shows, is kind of a snap report, shows where everybody's at in their phasing with reopening. So, as an example, I'm looking at the report right now, and in Aventura, Florida, we're in phase one of with zero through four because of five phases. Zero is complete stay at home. I hate to use the word lockdown. That's inappropriate, but it's really, you know, shelter in place, stay at home and limit uh, your, your outside activities. Phase one opens up after a certain period of no new cases. And as we do more and more testing now, which is another topic I'm sure we'll get into, you know, we have a better grip on the state of the population, our employee population, as well as our residents. And then we can, we can gradually move to the next phase of opening, which would, phase one is pretty simple. It's the swimming pool, limited attendance in, in the workout uh, facility or the health club and no dining yet. All dining is, is we delivered three meals a day to all of our residents and have been since March uh, 15th. And then as you move into phase two, you open up limited areas of, of the common space, but with social distancing, We've in phase two where we can, we'll do outside dining with distancing. Uh, in our Glenview community in Chicago, they have a farmer's market that they bring into the common courtyard area where that allows the residents to get outside, have some interaction, of course, with all of the controls and protocols. But trying to give as each phase opens up, more and more opportunity for residents to enjoy the, you know, the, the amenities of the community that they've moved into. And it's one of the reasons that they did move in. So we are in the very early stages. We have one, two, three communities in, in phase one. We have one community in phase two and everybody else is in phase zero, but preparing to move to the next phase at this point, with the exception of Arizona. We have two communities in Scottsdale and we've got a spike there. It's not going to happen. We're, you know, we're starting to see more and more cases in our employee population. Fortunately, not in our resident population. And we'll continue to test and monitor as we move into each phase. And if we, if we see a spike, uh, in, you know, in new cases, then we'll retreat and go back to, 
you know, where we were. So we're in the very, very early stages. I don't know that we have any lessons to be learned yet. We've been very thoughtful about how we planned it. So we're kind of testing what we've planned. And I guess we will have, you know, some lessons to, to share here as we get further into, you know, the reopening process mm-hmm. as we can. Sometimes I forget just how early we still are in this entire, I don't know what you want to call it, process. Right. You know, it, it sometimes it seems like a lot longer than, you know, four and a half months or so since this all began. It feels like, you know, years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, it's, it's always good to remember that, you know, we've only been doing this now for a few months. We haven't, um, we haven't learned, we have a lot to learn yet. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. I think that something you said earlier is a great segue into something else I was curious about. So you had mentioned that residents that are moving in, they can't use some of the amenity spaces that, they, that you know, that was part of the reason why they moved into a community. So has the pandemic changed how V is marketing its communities to prospective residents? Have you had to adjust the value proposition from, you know, high-end mm-hmm. amenities to more safety and security? It's a big deal. We basically, you know, our primary method of marketing is personal interaction and group presentation, which we had to just shut down. Okay. So our entire, you know, fundamental marketing approach, we had to shut down because of, you know, the quarantine issues in each community that we're a general community that we were dealing with. They simply, simply weren't allowed. I mean, we, we have not allowed visitation until we've opened up, you know, into a different phase in some communities. So it's completely changed it. Having said that, our salespeople have maintained contact with all our prospects. We've actually moved in a number of people during the pandemic under very strict protocols to limit the exposure to the common spaces. And even though most of our residents were staying in their apartments to begin with. So we've continued to do business in that respect. We haven't been able to sell conventionally. We've developed a complete virtual sales program, which we launched in July, first of July to augment, you know, the, the kind of personal efforts of our sales staff in each community to maintain contact with their prospects. And the, I can tell you the response has been very, very good. We're not going to have the move-ins that we anticipated this year as a result of the pandemic. And in our business, as you know, people usually, the only reason they really move out is if they, if they die. They're with us for their whole life. And so, you know, the mortality rate hasn't changed and that continues to march on. And we're not moving in as many people. So we have felt a little bit of occupancy uh, uh, change, but only about 1% so far. And we're operating across our portfolio at about 96% occupancy today. So incredibly good results. And with the launch of the virtual campaign that we put out there now, our sales staff, they're very excited. They've got a lot of interest. Fortunately, the housing market seems to have held up very well through all of this. And, you know, if people can't sell their home, then they're less likely to move into a community like our, like ours. So we're thankful for that. Uh, at least the tracking that we have so far suggests that 
we really haven't. In fact, if anything, there's it's probably an uptick in demand in residential housing now, which is a good thing for us. So, you know, I'm optimistic as a result of that. We won't hit our numbers this year. It has put some, you know, the dealing with the pandemic and the additional operating expenses has put some pressure on operating budgets, but we've done other things to mitigate those additional expenses where we, you know, we can offset them by expenses in other areas that we just didn't need to experience because of changing the way we worked. It's unclear right now that what the bottom line will be like. We're kind of accounting for it and working through it. But you can imagine we spent a lot of money on PPE and we spent a lot of money on, you know, on food service and so forth. Not necessarily food product, but because we're delivering three meals a day to people's homes, just the packaging, you know, to make all of that happen in, in an appropriate way has been an additional expense that, you know, drops to drops into the operating budget. So there's there's still a lot to sort out. I, I, we're you know have a lot of pressure on our people to try to manage these things and do the right thing. And our approach has been: let's think, first of all, we want everybody safe. Uh, we want our residents safe. We want our employees safe, and we want them cared for. And we'll do everything we can to mitigate you know the conditions of isolation during this time for our residents. Uh, so we've amped up. You know, the, you know, the kind of programming that we can deliver virtually into right into their home. We have our own network in each community that we can do that. So that's helpful and create events that we can, where we can keep people engaged. There's, there's different, there's different ways we're spending money and there's different ways we're saving money. It's unclear to me at this very moment where we're going to actually fall out a few more months. We'll have a better sense of this. But clearly, we spent money where we've had to because we need to to keep people safe. And you know, if we're doing things differently and we can find a way to to save money in one area and other, we're, we're doing that as well. Another area where I could see potential disruption is in growth plans. I know that V has always been very careful about how it grows. I remember last year we had talked about a possible return to rental communities. Obviously, that was before the pandemic. So how are you thinking about growth right now? Does the pandemic just sort of push those plans out into the future? Or yeah, tell me more about all that. Yeah, I mean, we're still, we have a couple of projects that are alive and well, but delayed because we simply can't execute against, you know, for, at this point in time against the, the project details that we have to without travel and interpersonal interaction with, you know, vendors, planners, architects, uh, all, you know, all the people that you have to work with to make a project come together. So it's delayed. But we haven't, you know, we haven't turned the switch off. We've tried to keep it warm and get ourselves teed up. So as things emerge, we can move things along. At the, uh, having said that, we've, we've got, you know, over $50 million worth of internal redevelopment within our portfolio that we are working on right now. And that hasn't stopped. We have continued to push forward on all of those plans. We're not into construction on some of those big projects until, you know, we'll get to a better place. But where we can move those projects forward, we are. And, you know, it's been a little more challenging because of travel and so forth. 
related yeah. to try to execute on those plans. But, but, and so that's created some delay, but it hasn't changed our position. I'm very bullish on, you know, our prospects coming out of this. I think my message to our people is that we do, we do a great job on a normal day. We need to do an exceptional job during this period of time and our reputation will carry us through. And that's where we're focused. We'll, we'll be just fine as we, as we emerge from this, but we're, we have to be determined and a little bit gritty right now. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned $50 million worth of renovations at V communities. I, I, I got to ask what, what does that all include? What sort of things are you working on right now at, at those communities? Well, we have a, we have a major care center uh, renovation in our Naples community in Bentley Village in Naples, Florida. We've completed over the last four years, a little over four years now, 130 million of reinvestment in that community. It is the best community in Southwest Florida, and I'm pretty sure in all of Florida right now in terms of the CCRC community. It's stunning. And the care center has been the next phase for that. So there's 30, about a $35 million spend that we will invest in the, in the care uh, operation of the community to not only expand the services that we provide there in terms of therapy and, and so forth, but, you know, the care, the uh, skilled nursing unit at, at that community was built back in the late nineties and it has, you know, a certain number of, number of double occupancy rooms, for example, nobody wants a double occupancy room today, you know, so we're fixing all of that. So we're correcting and updating existing the existing facility, but also expanding it to provide even more services to our residents. And, and that's a, that's a true investment, you know, in that community going forward, which, you know, it, we think is in keeping with what we've already put in into that community, uh, that will serve us for another two decades or more. And we're looking at expanding our care operation in Denver, Colorado as well. And so we're in the early stages of planning on that, but we're working on the design. And, uh, you know, how that actually gets executed is probably not going to be on the timing that we had, you know, had been thinking about when we set it in motion maybe a year ago, but nonetheless, it's still going forward. So it's, it's those kinds of projects. And then there's, you know, a major $10 million renovation of upgrade of the common area space in Palo Alto, which we've taken advantage of the fact that everybody's locked up. So to speak, <laughs> to tear apart the places that we needed to update and get them completed, so that when we reopen, the residents will be there with a, with you know brand new environments to enjoy. And we've got a couple of projects like that in three communities. So I said fifty million as well in excess of that. It's those kinds of things. So we're reinvesting in our in our assets. Yeah. As you look across your, your whole portfolio or V's whole portfolio, has the pandemic affected the way that you're thinking about the continuum of care? You know, for instance, do you still feel the same about your independent living units versus your assisted living or your SNF units? And has your thinking evolved at all due to all of this? I think, you know, the, the issue that's probably most profound that you would think about related to COVID is that when people need to be staying at home and limiting social interaction, 
you know, it really flies against what we sell. I mean, they moved into our communities because they're beautiful places and they have the opportunity to live in a beautiful place, to interact with other people in those communities. And that's part of what they, what they buy into. There's no question that, you know, what we've had, the isolation and, and the controls that we've had to put in place to mitigate, you know, infection spread, you know, ha- have diminished the value of those common spaces and those activities that residents counted on when they moved in with us. Having said that, they understand that, look, we, we can't control it. I mean, we're all as, as a society dealing with this. It's not our fault. And they understand that. I don't think that it's diminished at all. There's, our resident spirits have been very, very high. They've been very appreciative of how we've cared for that. And I think we get a lot of credit because of the way that we've dealt with the situation. And as we emerge from it, I frankly believe that'll be a selling point, you know, for people. Listen, if you're, if you're at a, if you have a stay at home order, I don't care if you're in our community or in your own home, it's a stay at home order and you're just as isolated. You know? So in many ways, That's a good you, point. Have more, you, you have more, in many ways, you have more interaction because of our staff and our, you know, the social functions that we can deliver into your home, you still have more interaction than you would if you lived in your home, in a, in a single family home. So, uh, you know, you, you need to kind of look at that objectively. Yes, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a factor to deal with. But having said that, I think it's also important. And this is where one of the things I've always believed in, in this business that the operator is it's so important in, the, in this business and how you operate. And if you demonstrate that you actually care for people and you can take care of them and deal with these kinds of issues, these are real life issues. They're not going away. Hurricanes, you know, are going to come every year. We have these things to deal with and it's how we deal with it and how we take care of people that ultimately I think will help us win because that speaks to our reputation and we'll be able to sell off of that. So yeah. uh, I'm very bullish on the model and, and what we have to offer. And I think it is in fact, the future of senior living period. Yeah. Okay. Lightning round, just because uh, you've piqued my curiosity with, with what you just said, I've heard some providers talk about how they expect a pent up demand effect after COVID-19 in a few words, because we're almost out of time here, are you expecting to, to see the same thing? And I guess another part of this question is, what do you think residents will want after COVID-19 ends, whenever that is? I think I think there will be pent-up demand for all forms of senior living, and there will be. And I think that people will be evaluating their options more carefully in terms of how operators have worked through this particular situation. So yes, there will be, there is pent up demand. We're already seeing it. It will happen. And I think the good operators will win. Well, always a pleasure to talk with you, Randy. Thank you so much for coming on Transform today. I thought this was a great conversation. Tim, thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate uh, being part of it and I look forward to talking to you again soon. That concludes this episode of Transform. Don't forget to check out the SHN Architecture and Design Awards at shnawards.com. Submissions are currently open. The earlier bird deadline is September 30, and the final entry deadline is October 31. 
I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.